Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and the book is named Martyr and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it and I think you'll love it. Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, we have Nicole Kerr on the phone. She is an award-winning health expert, public speaker, and author. When she was a 19-year-old cadet at the United States Air Force Academy, she had a terrifying near-death experience. And when the memory of the crash returned 20 years later, it spurred a 20-year transformation that helped her align her soul, spirit, mind, and body. A disabled veteran, Nicole has penned the best-selling book, You Are Deathless, and has appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC, The Food Channel, and other radio and television shows to share her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. She even worked with the CDC. We'll get into all of that and more, but first, let's welcome Nicole. Hi. Hi. I'm so delighted, excited, and grateful to be on your show, Mike. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, the feeling is mutual, and we're in year two or almost three now, and we just love meeting new people and hearing their stories. Well, I'm glad I'm alive to tell mine. (laughs) Awesome. And we will get into all of that. Uh, We have a standard question. How old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you think you're a member of? Oh, Mike, you know, I grew up in the South and a woman was never (laughs) supposed to reveal her age. But I will tell you, I uh, just turned 59. I'm in the last of that baby boomer group. Got it. Where specifically in the South did you grow up? I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. That's an experience growing up there, (laughs) that's all I want to say. And, uh... And now I live in New Bern, North Carolina, but I just moved here after almost 20 years in Hawaii. Oh, wow. So it was really like having to to reset my mind to the mainland mentality versus island life. Yeah. Which island were you on? Oahu. Oh, cool. Great. And yeah, Mississippi, uh, my first time there was just unreal. It was very different from any other state I remembered. And like, uh, that's the deep South. I mean, that word deep in front of South is exactly how I describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, part of the Bible belt. So you grow up with a very, uh, strict, uh, foundation in, um, religion, especially Southern Baptist. Uh, it's very much uh, stroke belt. So they still haven't cleaned that up. I'm in the medical field and it still has not gotten any better. They're, they're in that. And unfortunately, and just, you know, a poverty, it just, it never seems to, always seems to rank 50th in that, which is just really sad. It's a generational imprint that really needs to be changed. And so kind of speaking of which you did what I'm assuming quite a few people from there do, which is you joined the military when you were pretty young. So do you want to get into that part of your life? Well, I joined the Air Force Academy, which is joining the military, but it is, the academies are a bit different because they are essence, you're going to college, a university for four years, and you come out with a degree and you come out with a commission as an officer uh, in whatever respective branch you went to. And I went to the U.S. Air Force Academy, which is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I was one of the first women uh, admitted into the academy. They only started admitting women. uh, The first class graduated in 80. So I I was in, in that transition period when a lot of men still did not believe women should be there. And there's still a lot of men that that believe that. So uh, the only reason I was there, Mike, is because I was trying to please my father. I am a recovering people pleaser, and I would have done anything to get my dad's love and attention and to be his favorite, even though I was competing with three other siblings. And I thought if I could get there, that was his alma mater. He went on to the Marine Corps. 
I would just, I would be, you know, like uh, favored. I'd be the favored child. And um, needless to say, when I got accepted and got there, I realized what a mistake I'd made. And I didn't have the courage to quit. I didn't uh, fear failure. You know, I could not just say, this is not for me. It's not for my soul. I want out of here. My soul is not designed to kill people. I mean, none of our souls are, okay? But I understand that we need a military to protect and defend. But for me, I mean, I did nothing in high school or junior high or growing up that would even lead me to, to say, why would this person go this extreme? I took ballet. I was piano. You know, I was uh, a, like a rocket kind of drill team girl, you know, uh, I was a model, I was on the team board. I did the exact opposite kind of stuff, you know, and I get there and everybody's a varsity athlete and they're all the top in their class. And I'm just like, I'm having to go through an obstacle course that I'm sitting here going, oh my stars. So I really just looking back, you know, I was so scared to disappoint my father and to quit and the shame and the humiliation and the feeling I'm not good enough. You know, it's just like disappointing, embarrassing to quit. So I couldn't do it. And then my second year, I didn't want to be there either, but now I'm getting in thicker because the academics are getting much harder and my brain is not wired for electrical engineering. I don't know if yours is Mike, but mine certainly is not. No, I'm a writer, um, <laughs> but and I interview people on podcasts. But I am curious, um, kind of jumping back a couple topics. Uh, when you talked about, I know we need a military, but I just don't want to do it. I wrestle with that same logic all the time, which is like my way of life is protected by people who are willing to do things that I say I'm not willing to do. Can you get into that a little bit? I struggled with that too, you know, and I'm, I'm my heart, every time I hear the, the national anthem, you know, I just get, get goosebumps, but I think there is limits that we all need to set to military uh, in terms of what we can do to one another. And I think we've gone way overboard with, with that and back all of that down. So we're not, you know, because the whole goal is to get in love, love with yourself, love with one another. And if everything and everyone is connected and love is the source of all of that, then we're not going to want to turn around and kill somebody else. But when you're, when you're rewired to start doing that, then you change. That's really powerful. And I love the way you articulated most of that. Like it, it's fascinating to hear it because, uh, you know, when you have the experience plus the opinion that I already have, it, it's, it holds more weight for anyone and for myself included. So it's, it's interesting. To hear that. I was about to say good, but it's not good to hear it, but it was interesting. Um, and so back to your life and, and the course of your life, um, I guess specifically, uh, I'm really interested in the the turn. Like you, you had the crash, and then you have the memory of it return. Can we talk about the part about the memory of it returning rather than focusing on the initial incident? Yeah, because you can read all about that in my book. You are deathless. I mean, would, I, I mean, every single injury I had, the 64 pints of blood I was given, the two code blues, all of that's in the book. Okay, so the memory coming back. I was 19 when the crash happened, pronounced dead at the scene and uh, revived, okay? So I went to the other side. Now, the only thing I remembered that entire 19 years was bright white lights, clear lights. And if you look at 
uh, Raymond Moody's work, who coined the term near-death experience, that is the one element or symptom, he said, that almost everybody who has an NDE experiences is this bright, white, clear light. You can look in it, and it's not going to blind you. And so I remembered that, and I thought, my literal part of my brain went, that was the operating lights. You woke up during the surgery. So I asked my surgeon and she said, no way, Nicole, you were unconscious. Let me tell you the whole time. So it's something else, uh, something from the other side, from whatever, uh, but it isn't, has nothing to do with the operation, room, operation room lights. So um, when I was 19, when I was uh, 19 years later, I was working at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. I was on my way to work like I did every day, stopped at Starbucks, like a lot of people do, get their coffee. And then all of a sudden, I remembered exactly how I sat in the car. It was a red Corvette convertible, 1965. I was a passenger. It didn't have a seatbelt. The hood was down. And I could see uh, my left leg, my right leg up on the dashboard, the left leg uh, like crossed over it. And I all of a sudden just saw me go through the windshield and I went straight up into the air. And, and then I stopped and I was like, uh oh, I better not go to work. So I went to the chiropractor that does body work on me. And he, I sat in his waiting room all day because he was totally booked. And then he saw me and he said, Nicole, these are repressed memories. And I said, 19 years of repression? How does that even happen? And uh, I said, please, you know, and he said, well, your body is ready. It feels safe now. And you have support to help get you through this. And that is key for people that have trauma and they're going, well, I can't remember, or I don't know, you know, why can't I remember? And the deal is your body keeps a score. And that is a best-selling book by Dr. Bensel Vanderkolt on trauma. And your body keeps a record of everything that happened. Okay. The hippocampus stores that memory. And I will tell you from when I get to, his, when I went to his office, I was able, the story just cut coming out and out and out. But as soon as I went into the air and I froze because I looked down and I knew when I hit the ground that I was going to die. So I cried out like, oh my God, help me. And at that moment in the book, I talk about Casper the ghost coming down and lifting me up. Now in August of this year, when I was 58, my grandfather came to me. He died when he was 58 years old. And he told me that he was an angel, that he was the angel that came down and uh, rescued me. And I was like, because I could always tell it was male. I, I mean, I knew all these certain qualities, but I never got it that it was my grandfather. Um, and he said that he didn't want to tell me until I got to be the age that he died. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, because I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, I've seen my grandmother. I've seen these people over on the other side. And I was like, I didn't know anybody over there. And uh, now I know it was my grandfather. So things can still come, you know, and here's this another 20 years later. So what I was told on the other side, first of all, you have to remember, I'm not in my physical form. I, my, my energy body split open. My soul flew out of it. It went up to this space. So uh, I'm up there with my grandfather in an angelic form, and he's in his 30s. He's not like 
60 or 58, whatever he was. Yeah, so he's at a much younger age. And and then I hear these other angels talking. Uh, they're not speaking English. Uh, and I don't know how I know what they're talking about. I mean, how I can hear them, whether it's tel- telepathy, or I don't know what it was, but I could hear them and I could understand them. And their message was uh, that they, meaning us humans, need to ask for help from the angelic realm. They're not going to intercede on our behalf unless we ask them. And that's because we have free will in this country. So, um, or in our lives, I should say. So that's the first message is angels are on the other side. There's thousands of them. They're all different kinds and they are up there and they want to help us, but we have to ask. Hey everybody, I just want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Our numbers keep growing and we have a premium package and it would really help us out if some of you loyal fans would head over there and sign up. You get bonus monthly podcasts, you get a book I wrote, and you also get extra essays and other content. So please head over to MikeyOp.com, that's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and sign up today. And it, you know, people laugh when you say, oh, I'm going to ask the angels for a parking space, but I guarantee you, you do it. One shows up. I, I mean, I have never had it not happen to me. And if you ask for other things too, they come, but they may come in a way that you're not expecting. But most people don't turn to help from the spiritual side or God or whatever until there's a crisis. And then all of a sudden it's prayer and prayer is energy. So uh, we are all energy and that's what our soul when it leaves is energy, that vapor that's breathing. That's what escapes. That's all energy. And so um, the other message that I was told was I was going to go back. And when he said that to me, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I do not. I could see my body. I could see her lying in the ditch. I could see, you know, my side of the face was turned and that I had real bad uh, road burn rash on. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go back in that body. It is going to be painful. And I am going to suffer with all those injuries. And he looked at me and he said, your mission is to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I was like. So my mission was, you know, directly given to me by spirit when my memory returned, um, you know, 19 years later. And so it's real simple. Don't be afraid of death. But while it seems simple, it has taken me almost four decades to understand what that looks like for me. And now I understand that purpose. And now I've moved into the spiritual dimension, which is where healing is because it comes from inside. And if you think about it, you're a writer and almost every book written, death itself is cloaked in a veil of doom and gloom. I mean, growing up in Mississippi, it was soul music, soul food, and your soul was going to hell if you didn't follow the rules, you know, it was a very, we, we learned God was very dualistic, you know, God loved us, protected us. But if we were bad and didn't follow the rules, uh, judgment, um, criticism, and the wrath of God would come on us and we would go to hell and be separated from God and our family for all of eternity. And as a six-year-old, when you go to Sunday school and you learn these things, it, it's literal. It's literal for them, for a kid, you know? So you're thinking, God, am I going to eat barbecue every night, you know? And I thought, how do you take a shower if you're on fire all the time? You know, it's, it's things like that that you're just, it scares the wee-wee out of you. So you're growing up in fear 
of this God who is going to pounce on you, you know, if you do something bad. So, you know, my own experience, along with hundreds of thousands of others, is 100% different. Death is absolute beauty, light, and loving kindness on the other side. And yes, I experienced all these beautiful, brilliant colors and a lot of things other people describe. Um, but I didn't focus my book mostly on that. I focused it on the 10 common lessons from near-death experience and my story, because I think people need to understand that healing is not linear and to transform yourself, which is what I've had to do. I've had to transform my concept of God, which I used to believe in a vending machine concept where uh, you would put in the right behavior, right? Or the right change and you push the Coke button, but it doesn't work like that, does it? You don't always get Coke and you don't always get an answer and you get no evidence that God or Jesus is listening to you. And so there's there's a lot of things that that it works against you in terms of your own development, I guess I should say. Um, but the, the lessons I learned really do line up with the uh, the scientific report from the International Association for Near-Death Studies of what most people have experienced that have crossed over. And the first one is we do not die. And that is why I wrote the book, You Are Deathless, because yes, your physical body is the carrier. It decays, it dies, but your soul is forever. Yeah, and what do you do I ask this, uh, you know, we interview a lot of people with a similar like healthy mindset that you've approached and, and gotten to and, and you're pontificating about. Um, what's like your go to trick when when on those days where it's like really hard, where like five different things go wrong and you don't feel like God is listening and you don't feel like your prayers are being answered and you don't feel like anyone cares about you? What, what's your method in those situations? Well, first of all, God is not a person. God is an energy. He, it is an energy. So you are never alone. And you always have the spiritual realm. And when you start developing, all of us have a guardian angel, at least one, and we all have a spirit guide. So they're not in human form, but they are there for us whenever we need them. So start, if you already have not been, start a relationship with your angel. And start, you know, start trying to figure out what does your soul want to tell you? So when you journal, you know, what is it that my soul wants to tell me today? Because all of our souls are perfect. Okay. They are true perfection. And it's light. It's love. It's beauty. It's what we came in with. We're all eternal sparks of God, which is perfection. And so when I'm having one of those days, I ask my body. Is it something physical going on? Is it an emotional trigger that I just got triggered by and I'm not processing the emotion? And that's usually where I get stuck because I was not raised to have emotions. It was like, you never hurt your mother. You never get mad at anybody, you know, or angry. And I think, I, th I think we're in a literate country, honestly, when it comes to emotions and all of us have stuck emotions and we have to deal with them and there's lots of tools out there now to get at this including neuroemotional technique um there's emdr there's biofeedback there's all these different ways to get at that unconscious because you're not even aware that you're doing the same thing 
and you're not going to cause a different out, output. And I saw that with a, as a dietitian where people would get stressed and triggered and they'd eat the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's and they knew better, but it was that amygdala, the fight, flight, or fear that they were operating in from something they got triggered in in their past that they never cleared. And then if it's not that, I ask my body, is it something spiritual? And I go to my angels when I meditate, I will ask my spirit guides and they will usually tell me, you know, this is coming up or you're, you're in fear or, you know, you're worried about your book review or whatever it is, you know, and, and you don't need to, we've already got it figured out. So let go, let us handle it. And, you know, things like that to get reassurance. And I have a very supportive husband who understands all of this. So I think to have support is really um, imperative when you get in these kind of situations that you have someone that can understand this belief system and that you're trying to explore new beliefs instead of the rote prayers that you had learned. There's comfort maybe in that, but you're not going to get the outcome you want because it's not the belief that goes with it. Oh my gosh. I'm definitely touched by what you've done with your life. It sounds appropriate. And that's what, as I do the show longer and longer, I'm starting to see is that it's less mysterious than people think if you just settle into it and see how obvious it all is. And so I really appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. I would like to remind our audience, if you're a fan of our show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and subscribe for free to the weekly newsletter that also announces the podcast. And uh, if you're a diehard fan, please get a premium subscription. We could always use your support. Once again, that's Mikey. M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. My name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon.